Hey, we're in a brand new series beginning this weekend, and uh, we're talking about This Is Us. It's on building great relationships, building great families. God is a family man, and uh, you know, the church is a picture of a family. It's a spiritual family, and then there's a natural family. And God's got some keys and principles to help us all do really well. So we're going to be doing these in our connect groups each week. I hope you'll get into one if you're not in one and make some good connections. I told the new member class today, every problem you've got, there's an answer seated somewhere in this room on, I don't know which service or whatever, but from, from legal advice to medical advice to marriage advice to financial advice, you, people can open a door for you that you could never open for yourself. And that's why connections are so important. People can, you know, you can go to a bank and they say, well, we don't do that, we don't do that. And then when you know the right person, they do that. So it's who you know, and that's clearly the key. I mean, I'm being accepted into heaven as a son of God, declared righteous based on who I know, Jesus, right? Not based on me. So you guys need to make some good connections. Get, get in touch with people. You never know the answer to your biggest problem could be right across from you. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm not talking about a girl. I'm talking about the answer to a problem. You could be sitting next to a potential problem, so be careful. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 from the Message Bible. It's a good place to start talking about relationships. So he says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, being in a community of the Spirit means, if it means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Another way to look at it is harmony, love, and being of one mind and one spirit between you and another person. Now, if we take those exact principles and apply them to any marriage, regardless of circumstance or where things are today in your marriage, you and I can have a great marriage. We had a seminar here a couple of years ago, and Jimmy Evans, who is a pastor, leads a marriage ministry called Marriage Today. It's excellent, A-level. Here's what he says, and, and he went through a rough patch and talks about it. Your marriage has a 100% chance of success. That's good odds, folks. As believers, we need to acknowledge we serve a big God. And over the course of the next few minutes, I'm going to share some practical, simple principles to improve relationships or your marriage. Now, it's your job to take a posture of faith and put those steps into practice. And by the way, this is for singles too, those engaged, those planning to get married. You need the same principles in all of them. It's a fact. They're, they don't change from dating to engaged or married, except when you're engaged or when you're dating, you don't have to go home with the person. Now you do. You do, right? So when you get married, you do have to go home. So, so going into this, I want to challenge you. If you're sitting there and you have a bad attitude 
or you're filled with doubt about your marriage, it's time to take a different approach and shift your focus. This is important. Good marriages don't just have. You didn't just marry the right person. You married a fallen, fallible human being, period. Everybody is a sinner. Everybody is broken. And you didn't just get lucky. Somebody is making a sacrifice or both of you. And it takes energy and effort to make a marriage work. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So we're going to take a look at six steps to enhance a good marriage, okay? There's no perfect marriage, but a good marriage. And as I go over these six simple principles, do a little self-analysis about how you're doing. Now, now for singles out there, don't check out. This message is just as much for you as somebody been married 50 years. And by the way, Friday, I was married 44 years to Mama. So I'm very grateful. And if it wasn't the grace of God, that wouldn't happen. And it, it's not easy. I don't care who you're married to. It could be Billy Graham. It wouldn't matter. They're all broken and fallible. So get over the idea that, well, it's, it's just I just didn't find the right one. I mean, there ain't no right one, tr- truthfully. There are better ones, that's for sure. <laughs> I like what John Gray says in talking about these steps. He says, when you carry yourself like a wife, a husband will find you. Now, that's also true for the men. That's very true. It's not just at the ladies. Guys, are you looking for your future wife? And are you carrying yourself like her future husband? I mean, if you're spending your time swiping right on Tinder, I got a clue for you. Your chances are slim to none on getting the right person. It gets lower. So let's look at the six steps together, okay? Number one, communication. Communication. Proverbs 13, verse 17 in the Message Bible. Irresponsible talk makes a mess of things, but a reliable reporter is a healing presence. So, reliable communication helps all of us move forward in our marriage. Now, for that process to occur, you got to talk to each other. And the problem is that the average couple only talks to each other alone for about four minutes a day. Isn't that exciting? In some estimates, you will amass 46 hours a week on Hulu, Netflix, or TV. And that's not even accounting for all the time you spend sitting on a sofa, each of you looking at your smartphone, and spending time on social media. Can you see the challenge we face? Are you both going to make time to communicate with each other? And one of the reasons we have problems in communication is that men and women communicate different. I read this week that a woman went to a judge and told him, I want to divorce my husband. The judge said, do you have any grounds? She said, no, but we do own a half acre at Canyon Lake. The judge said, I mean, do you have a grudge? She says, no, we parked a car in front of the house. The judge said, does your husband beat you up? She says, no, I always get up before he does. Frustrated, the judge said, well, what in the world do you want a divorce for? She said, we just aren't able to communicate. Yeah. So it's a skill you can learn and you must learn. And the major reason you have communication problems is you expect your mate to think like you do, and they don't. Anybody but me know that's true? You know, think what you think, then think the opposite. 
I mean, one of our daughters, if Cindy wants to buy clothes for one of our daughters, it's easy because it's like her. And then the other daughter, I heard her say one day, all I have to do is decide I don't like that. And then I know Alicia will like that. You know, I'm sure you got the same thing going. That's just the way God made us. We're different. So the big takeaway this week, deliberately set aside some quality time to talk to your spouse. And we'll talk about a date night, but if you have that, it's a good chance to catch up and talk about the kids, talk about any issues going on, talk about the job, but you're really, really getting down to the nitty-gritty of talking about life and what's going on and what you're feeling. Second key, consideration, being considerate. Consideration means paying attention to what people say, what people are feeling, and not invalidating their feelings by saying, well, you shouldn't feel that way. It means showing common courtesy, treating people with respect, helping them any way you can. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And the key here is having a helpful disposition. Being cons- Anybody ever watch anybody be you in consider something in the Greek? <laughs> Have you ever watched people be inconsiderate? How rude and inconsiderate. I was on one of my flights, I, this lady got on with a carry-on bag. You could have put your mother-in-law in. I never seen anything about that heavy. And I got up out of the seat to help her lift it to the overhead bin. And she just sat down. So I walked around. I did. Walked right around in front. I said, you're welcome, ma'am. Inconsiderate. Like, like what? I ain't no flight attendant. It ain't my job. I paid for my seat, too. No wonder you can't get a, any help or a date. You, you, inconsiderate. That's just unacceptable. And basically in marriage, it's unacceptable. You know, that means maybe you have to bring in the groceries, even when it's the fourth quarter of a game that might be close. I mean, why does Cindy have to bring home the car with groceries just when something good is happening? And you know, I got to get up and go get the groceries. That'd be inconsiderate. Or, I mean, waiting until she has both legs in the car before you pull out of the driveway. It's the little things in life that count. And for the ladies, it might mean turning off Dancing with the Stars or Grey's Anatomy and giving a remote to your husband. Or maybe surprising him with some unexpected affection. Think you know what I'm getting at, huh? James 3, verse 17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Wisdom shows itself by being considerate. Uh, I remember, I'm a daddy, but I remember when one of our daughters got her first car and there wasn't room in the garage. We rented a house for her car to be in the garage. I wasn't going to put my car outside. It was newer. Her car was old in her first car. But it, you get up, and it's fogged over in the morning, and it's cold. And ask my wife. And Daddy would go out there, and I'd clean those windows off. I'd get that car running. I'd have it nice and hot for my daughter to get in. Now, I learned that. That's just being considerate. And, you know, I, I, I mean, you, that's, that's a simple thing. But it's 
I'm thinking about how's the gas? All my girls have gas cards. Do they fill up the gas? No. No. Give them a wash card, a free wash card. I never had a free wash card in my whole life growing up. A free wash card, and it looks like it's been out in the Mugabe Desert for six months. It's free. All you have to do is drive in. No. And you get in the car, and the gas is there. So I, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, it's late. I better, I'm going to run the car down to the garage, to the gas station, fill it up, and come back. My, okay, I'm not being, I'm not being, uh, what am I trying to say? Oh, me, wonderful me. I'm just saying small, considerate things, and your marriage is different. And what Cindy may like, you may not like. And what I have to do, you may not have. But you got to do something, something to be considerate to show respect and care for somebody else if they're having a hard day. So we got a new puppy. Dear God, help us. And so now Cindy has alleviated some of her work schedule to me with this dog. And it's like a two-year-old. And it's like, I I mean, you get up in the morning and this thing's got to go. It's got to go out. It's got to jump all over everything, drag you. Oh, I want a cup of coffee. I just want to wake up. But no, we must go immediately or there'll be an accident. And I'm I'm thinking this sucker is dominating my life. But it's important to Cindy, so I'm going to be considerate and do what I need to do with this dog. Put it up for adoption and give it to you, to you. So, I'm being stupid in any relationship where, where wisdom is not being shown in consideration, caring about the needs of others. You know, if you're dating somebody, be considerate. Uh, don't park where there's a big mud hole if you're going to go in somewhere. Uh, share an umbrella or give somebody your coat. Do you look for ways to make it easier on your wife or husband? How can I lighten your load? That's what consideration is about. Number three, compromise. The Bible says love is unselfish. 1 Corinthians 13, the great chapter on on love, verse 4 and 5. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It can get angry, but not easily. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not demand its own way. That's the mark of genuine love. What do you want, honey? What do you want? Do you make demands in your marriage? When you find yourself making demands on your partner, it's time to hit the pause button take a step back and say, where am I willing to compromise on this challenge with my spouse? Now, I know a lot of people stand at the wedding altar and they're saying, I do, when secretly inside they're saying, after I marry him, I'll redo him. I'll change him. See, every marriage is going to have conflict and disagreements, no matter who you marry. You're always going to have some things you disagree on with your spouse. So no matter how much you love them, no matter how long you live together, there'll be some things you just never agree on, and that's intentional. When two people agree on everything, one of them isn't necessary. You know, when you eat, you eat with a knife and a fork, not two forks and two knives. 
God doesn't need two of you. And the greater your differences in the marriage, the greater your potential for spiritual growth and spiritual greatness. Cindy makes up a lot of my weaknesses. If you walked up to me and French kissed me in the lobby, I probably wouldn't know your name. Cindy would know your name, your address, birthmark, your temperature, how many children you have, what their SAT scores were last week. She knows. I don't know. So she helps me because I'm not strong in that area. And then I have strengths where she has weaknesses. It's like velvet and steel. But it ain't all steel, and it's not all velvet. There has to be some give and take, a little compromise in that, right? So God wants to use your marriage as a school of maturity to help you grow up. I mean, in general, particularly Christians, you probably did marry the right person, and they're just what you need to change. You know, I I have told a couple of 35 years ago, uh, rebellious kind of staff members, I said, I am God's gift to you, Jack. Uh, You little rebel, I am God's gift to you because I'm military, and I'm disciplined, and I know authority, and you are unsubmitted to authority. Sit your little bottom down. Well, that's kind of the reaction. But God knows how to put people under the right people because of what you need, not what they need, not saying they're nice. I'm just saying they're exactly what you need for your issues. See, God sharpens you with different people. And one of the things you have to learn in the school of marriage is how to compromise. You don't get your way all the time. Anybody been married more than four minutes? You know, you don't get your your way all the time. You compromise on vacation. Some people want to see 82 places in 10 days. Others want to stay in one place. Some people like to plan everything in advance. Others just jump in the car and leave, and we'll we'll just ad lib. So you have to compromise. One year, take the other mate's uh, kind of a vacation. Another give in the next year, take your kind of a vacation, a little give and take. You're going to compromise on the way your children are raised, on the way your money is spent. Some of you are morning people. You're ready to go. Others are night people. They can stay up until one in the morning, and it doesn't affect them the next day. When it comes to sex, one of you saying, drop everything, and the other is saying, drop dead. You, so... So you have to compromise on how often you're going to see the in-laws, compromise on how you spend your day off. This is important. It's not your day off anymore. Two have become one flesh. It's our day off. It's family day off. And you have to be willing to compromise. Uh, Now, if you're single, we believe in pre-marriage counseling. If you're engaged, the next step is pre-marriage counseling. And during that time, you're going to start working on different parts of your relationship and where compromise will take place. Because, you know, you're going to be ahead of the class after you say, I do, if you'll just learn a few points. In pre-marriage counseling, you talk about some of the things I spoke about earlier. In addition, how many kids do you want? She might want five. You might not want any. Where are you going to live? Do either of you know how to cook? Are you going to take turns cooking? All types of things. But the goal is to communicate and to commit to compromise because you're going to have to do it in marriage to be successful. 
You each don't get it all your way. And honestly, if you go into marriage without having discussed all these different issues, you're going to have a lot of trouble. But it'd be better to find out before marriage, because then maybe you decide you don't want to get married if someone's not willing to yield on that. Well, I just assumed, well, I just thought he might change. Well, that's a wrong assumption. That's why you need to talk and communicate and get into an agreement on what we're going to do with the children. And that's going to be an issue. See, most marriages die from inflexibility, an unwillingness to change, than from alcoholism, abuse, an affair, or anything else. See, when helping a couple in their marriage and it becomes obvious no one is going to compromise or change anything, then you've reached a point where nothing can be done. Nothing. So how willing are you to compromise, give and take, on many different issues? Fourth, dating. A big mistake married people make, and I had to learn it early too, is they stop dating after marriage. You have to keep dating each other. Now that can be hard when you have so much competing for your time. We, now you got kids, you got housework, you've got careers, and just to name a few. But regardless of all the obstacles life throws at you, you got to keep making time for the two of you. You know, romance, a physical affection, fun, having time to enjoy each other, the movies, laughter, friends. God intended marriage to be that way. It's a little different, of course, than just dating, but it's time together. If you read the Bible, it's got some very interesting scriptures. Oh, yes. This was one you might want to put on your refrigerator. Proverbs 5, verse 19. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times and always be enamored with her love. Amen. <laughs> See, that's a great scripture. That's in the Bible. And, and always be enraptured with her love. Always. Whatever you did to win your mate's love, you got to keep doing it. See, ladies, men by nature are achievement-oriented, goal-oriented. They see you. They want you. They're like a man on a safari. They shoot you. They romance you. They do stalk you. They do all kind of things they'd never do, like watch Mama Mia with you and pretend they enjoyed it. And ladies, I promise you, they're giving it everything they got to get you. But the moment you get married, they think subconsciously, mission accomplished. <laughs> Trophy now mounted on the wall. Now it's on to the next goal, and that's usually providing for the family. And all of a sudden, the wife goes, what happened? He's not the knight in shining armor anymore. Instead of candy and kisses, I get burps and gas. <laughs> she's, she's feeling rejection. And the guy's thinking, this is how I show I love you by working hard and providing for you. So we don't think alike, but you got to have some romance in your marriage all the time. Let me paraphrase Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9. Enjoy life with the mate whom you love. Don't stop having fun. Get some friends too that like to have fun and laugh together. Life's too short. It's too hard. It's too mean and nasty. I mean, it, the only thing you ought I, I would only regret not having more fun. Enjoy life together. This is it. Date your mate. Make your relationship a priority. Become best friends. 
you do that and you keep a little bit of romance in the marriage and you avoid a roommate trap. There's a guy named David Willis, and he's from Marriage Today. He wrote an article called The Roommate Trap, and he describes it like this. The roommate trap isn't like a mouse trap that snaps you in an instant. It's slow and methodical like an elaborate maze. Once a couple enters the maze of life's busyness, that's work and kids and bills, they can find themselves suddenly wandering around and getting separated from one another. It's not an intentional separation, it's just what can happen when life is happening to all of us so fast. And in the maze, a couple gets into kind of autopilot. And again, it doesn't just happen all at once. It's rarely an intentional choice to pull away from each other. It's subtle. And after a long season of just trying to keep their heads above water, one or both spouses starts to notice the marriage isn't what it used to be. They're no longer best friends and lovers. There's no longer laughter filling the home. There's no, not much physical affection. And they act like roommates and nothing more. And the simple answer to that is keep dating, keep having fun. You know, there's three stages to marriage, lust, rust, and dust. <laughs> you can't live in a permanent one. But the point is, and I was telling the class up there, I think after you survive the stupidity of immaturity in marriage, and you go through all the different steps, and God gives us grace and mercy and forgiveness, and we press on through, you become best friends. And your mate becomes really attuned to what you think, how you operate, and getting wisdom from that mate is really good. I mean, honey, how do you feel about that? What, do, what, what are you feeling inside? Uh, how do you see this? I, I love my wife's counsel because it's, it's good, and I want her opinion. I don't think when I was young, in my 20s, that would have been my thought, but I was ignorant and didn't know. But with seminars and better learning and making mistakes and getting through them, you realize, hey, this is a best friend. This is some, a companion. And you enjoy the latter part maybe even a little better than the hot part when you're younger. Okay. You, does that make sense? I mean, you know, every season in your marriage is not the same. Thank you. Lord, help me over here. I mean, some, somebody stand up and say something. I'm just trying to say to you, I think, it's, I think our marriage is better than it was when we started 44 years ago. You know, ignorance is when you don't know something. And I had a lot of that when it came to marriage because nobody taught. My parents were divorced five times, so I, I was a heap of knowledge, right? I didn't know anything, but I had to learn. And some of you won't go to a marriage seminar. No, I'm not going to a marriage seminar. I always learn something or remind myself of something I have either let slip or didn't know that helps. It's always been a blessing and a help. I've never felt worse because we went to a marriage seminar. It, 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 it's helped me. And I'm going to urge you to do the same thing when we have it. We have marriage classes. We've got Legacy of Love with Percy and Daynell, Now and Forever with Sandy and Randy Ross. You can go online and look at all the different groups and what they do and check into one. All of us need help and encouragement. So ignorance is when I don't know something. Stupidity is when I won't listen to somebody who does know something. So if you were going to fly an airplane, I have to go out and listen to a flight instructor tell me to look for this, do this, always do this, don't do this, or I'm going to kill myself. 
It's amazing how we'll let somebody teach us how to handle a firearm, what is safe, what is not safe, what is proper, what is not, what is legal in order to handle it. We do it. We get trained in everything, how to jack a car. Guys will teach you how to do that. You know, all kind of stuff. And yet when it comes to marriage, we just stay dumb. We don't get any teaching. We don't get any training. And if you didn't come from a good home, you got nothing. So it's got to be more than just physical attraction or Hollywood would never break up, right? It's true. So you're not roommates. You're going to spend the rest of your lives loving each other and having a good time. And that's my goal, finish strong. Number five, just two more, commitment, commitment. Don't break your promise to be faithful to your mate. Listen to how God puts it in Malachi, Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and don't be unfaithful to your wife, or you could say to your husband. Family life in society is not going very well. We've got a generation after generation that have grown up on the basis, I got to do what's best for me. That's called selfishness. It's just the opposite of what Jesus said. And by the way, no guilt, no shame and condemnation. If you, God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate divorcees. And if you've learned something from it, you can move on and have a good life. Life, there is life after divorce, okay? You don't have to be stained or marked for life. God gave Israel a bill of divorce in Jeremiah chapter 3, so he understands. He's a spiritual divorcee as well. But for goodness sakes, don't make the same mistakes. Don't at least learn something out of it so that life is going to be better. Children are involved, your heart. Life's too short to be miserable. And there's probably nothing worse than a lousy, stinking marriage. Probably nothing that could be any worse than that, worse than financial bondage. And God doesn't want you miserable. He wants you happy. Okay? So in Matthew 16, 25, Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life loses it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. So you give your life away, and in giving your life away, you find meaning and significance. Give, you shall receive. The more selfish you become, the more self-centered you become, the more bitter you become, the unhappier become. And that's not God's best for anybody in here. Being selfless is what God's calling us to do, because it brings fulfillment in marriage, life, and relationship. God says, keep your commitments even if it's painful. You will never build a great marriage if you throw open the option for divorce. Don't shut the door on that, if at all possible. As long as divorce is on the table, you'll always find it easier to walk out than rebuild. It's easier to run than rebuild. But it's always more rewarding to rebuild than it is to run. So stop being selfish and grow up. Think about each other. Think about children if you have them. Learn to compromise, to be considerate. And, and how to keep your commitments. You made a promise to God, not to the preacher. You said, till death, do his part. So commitment means, get this point, take away. Commitment means being willing to be unhappy until we work it out. Now that is good. I'm willing to be unhappy until it works out. I am committed. And that's true of pr pr pursuing a dream uh, or building something. You got to be willing to be uncomfortable a lot until it works out. If you demand instant gratification, it's not going to work. And that could take quite a while. 
Commitment means I'm not going to stay with, I'm going to stay with you as long as it takes because I made a commitment to God. And regardless of what you choose to do, I'm going to be committed. I've been challenged on this many times in life. To give your word, keep your word, and keep it to your own hurt. I bought, before I, before we started the church, I was importing foreign cars from Germany on Lufthansa, and at the time the German Deutsche Mark was half of the U.S. dollar, so it was quite, quite lucrative. And I had promised a car to a, a, a main donor of James Robinson's ministry, and he got a cute little sports car. So I bought it shipped, and had the, the agent ship it over, and when he got here it had 3,000 miles on it, brand new car. 3,000 miles on I freaked. 3,000 miles. And it looked brand new, shiny chrome in the engine, not a bunch of grease on it. And I was just freaking out thinking, oh my God, 3,000 miles. So I went, to the, I went to the dealership and asked them, what is the deduction for the miles? I was going to have to eat it. How much? And he told me, And then one of the mechanics pulled me aside and he said this to me. I'm sure none of you have ever had this happen. He said, uh, Mr. Godwin, for $140, now this is 30 years ago, for $140, I can give you a brand new speedometer and it's brand new. Now I want it, I know you want me to say that I instantly said, oh my God, no, absolutely, I bind you, Satan, get behind me. No, that was not the conversation at all. (laughs) I was thinking that's the best news I've heard in a long time at this moment. But I made a commitment, and I thought about it and wrestled with it for 24 hours. But because of a biblical background, because of God's Holy Spirit, I wanted you to know that was a bit of a battle with the flesh, because that's going to cost me a lot of money that I didn't have and I was going to have to suffer the loss to keep my word. So I didn't take the speedometer. I did think about it. It was a very pleasant thought. I thought about it. But I didn't do it. And I took the car to the gentleman, and I refunded 3,000 miles, whatever the dealership said was to be refunded. And I informed him of what had happened. He was happy as a lark and, and drove on, and I had to eat it. I've had to eat a lot of things to keep my word. I hope you'll be willing to eat what you say. If you own a business and you tell a man, here's the price, and then something changes after the order's been made, eat it. Because then you produce loyalty from the customer who, who's going to trust you. But you don't. But people will say, well, I can't help it. The price has changed. Well, we ran into this problem. Keep your word to your own hurt. That is a believer's responsibility. If I told you it's this amount and I'm wrong, I'll eat it. That's just the way it is. I'm sorry, I'll eat it. And that doesn't go on very much. One area that challenges commitment is the myth of incompatibility. So in our culture today, dating apps help reinforce that. And we've got all these test to check for compatibility. And I think there's some valid points to matching people with people of like interest and value. But for the most part, this incompatibility stuff, by most sociologists, they tell you it's just a myth. It's a common excuse to hide your failing. 
misunderstandings and mistakes can be corrected if there's a willingness to do so. Incompatibility is just selfishness and stubbornness. We're not compatible. That's just saying, I'm not willing to change. I'm not willing to give. We're both selfish and stubborn. So marriage is kind of what we make it together. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. It's greener where you water it, and the water bill will be higher if it's green. Yes, it will. So put the same energy you're using to complain and gripe and compare into growing your marriage. You can change your spouse by changing yourself. That's the only way. I can't change Cindy. I can change me. And that kind of forces them to change. They have to relate to you in a new way. It's a willingness to compromise, a willingness to change, a willingness to stay with the commitment that you made. At Summit, we're committed to making our marriages work. We're going to finish this race. And here's the last, the last key to the puzzle, and the most important. It's Christ. It takes more than two for a marriage to work. It takes three. It's a threefold cord that's not easily broken. You need communication. You need consideration. You need compromise. You need courting. But you need commitment. And six, you need Jesus. He gives power to these five things. Jesus gives you the power and ability to do the other things when human love wears out. And I can sum up the second chapter of Philippians like this. Your attitude toward each other should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. When Jesus is in my life and Jesus is in Cindy's life, Jesus is not going to argue with Jesus. If I got an argument with Jesus, rest assured, Jesus is not the problem. I'm the problem. Jesus in me is not going to have conflict with Jesus in you. Nothing will bring your marriage closer than when you both focus on Jesus. Cindy is safe. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. I, I'm, I react. I, I, I'm passionate. I, I'm angry. I'm cold. I, I mean, what you see usually is kind of what you get. But what she does know, and the men closest to me know, you hit me with God's Word, and I may squelch for a little bit, but I'll do it. You ain't going to break up if that's the case. If she's willing to do what Jesus said after squelching a little bit, and I'm willing to do what Jesus said, there's not any chance in Gehenna that we're going to break up. It's not going to happen, because I'll come right. I'll do the right thing. I'll humble myself. I'll do what I'm told to do if it's clear Scripture. Not an opinion, but clear Scripture. Those are the railroad tracks that have held me together for 74 years. You've got to have some boundaries. What, what, are, your, what are your non-negotiables? And that, that's God's Word. So it's not being a perfect person. It's just having a, a perfect set of scriptures, a perfect Savior, and I want to please Him. And I, I fail often, but I'm, I'm, I humble myself. I'm willing to do what is right. So Cindy knows if I have to hit him with God's Word, if so many times I'll react to something in church or people can really mess you up, and she'll come back with, the, with God's Word. And I know it's right, but I don't want to hear it. I don't say it like that, but I mean inside, inside, I don't want to hear it. Anybody, anybody out there like me? I mean, please, help me, guys. I'm trying to be honest. And I'll just do it. I'll apologize. I'll humble myself. I remember years ago in South Africa, I got jet lag. I may be goofing all over the place here. I don't know where I am. I flew 23 hours, and uh, 
I'm not quite sure who I am or what, what I'm doing at the moment. I, I don't know. But I remember I got, this is many years ago, 20 years ago, I said something about somebody that was, that was in a particular movement, and, and what I said was inappropriate. It was, it was not, not vulgar, but it was inappropriate criticism. And I remember that the guy that I relate to, Ray McCauley, called me and says, hey, Rick, so-and-so heard uh, what you said, blah, blah, blah. I think you should call him and apologize. I think it would be wise to do so. I didn't want to hear that. But I loved the relationship. I knew he was right instantly, though I didn't want to hear it in my flesh. And I said, okay, I will. And here's what I do. When, when, when I'm in a deal like that, I don't wait for more time. I'm going to do it instantly. It's the quickest way to get it done. I call two people in the office, older people. I said, listen to this conversation. Be a witness. And I called that person and said I was a jackass, I was arrogant, I am sorry. What I said was, was rude, and, I, and I, I'm terribly remorseful. I am terribly sorry. Now, that person and I don't run together, but when we see each other, there's a big hug, a big smile, and a friendship. But I did exactly what he said to do, even though I didn't want to do it. Okay? So it's not about I don't want to do it. Well, I don't want to do a lot of things. I don't want to pay my bill this month. But I've got to. We've got to pay the bill on this building. I'd like not to, but we have to. I wish one of you had won that one point something billion dollar lotto and said, Ricky, I got a little check here, bud. We're going to pay it off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But we'd probably never see you again. So <laughs> if you're not already given, that ain't, that ain't going to happen. So you see what I'm saying? I mean, when you both love Him, it automatically brings you together in spite of your differences. Jesus is the one thing that's kept Cindy and I together 44 years. The one thing. One thing. And the greatest thing you can do for your marriage is put Jesus right in the middle of it. And to be honest, I'm not sure how people that don't have Jesus can even stay in a marriage. I don't know. So, so how do you make Him the center? Invite Him to come into your life. Say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Direct my life. I receive you as my Savior. And then say, together we want to commit our marriage to Jesus and treat each other the way Jesus treats us. Jesus does, is not racist. Jesus does not, is not sexist. Jesus is not uh, ugly and unkind and patronizing. He's loving. He's kind to everybody. So next step, get plugged in at Summit if this is your church. Get plugged in. Get connected. Do life with other couples who want the same thing, strong, healthy marriages. And, and listen to their testimonies, because some of them have been through terrible things and have made it. And it'll encourage you, hey, I can make it. I can make this thing work. So you can find out more about the ministries we have here by simply going to our website, summitsa.com, and select the group option, and you'll find that section on marriage, pre-marriage counseling that I mentioned previously. And don't say you don't need it because you were married before. You need it more than ever. See, good marriages don't just happen. They take effort. They take time. There are a ton of resources for your marriage. I want to recommend on our screen a website, Marriage Today. It's got a ton of short articles written from a biblical perspective, not cosmopolitan, not GQ, that get to the point and help with specific areas you might be dealing with. They're easy reads, and they're applicable to all of us. So building a good marriage has been the greatest challenge of my life, but it's also been the greatest reward. God wants to work in your life and mine. Ask Him for power to do these things. And today, 
can be a brand new start for all of us. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you've never, you know about Jesus, I'm sure. You can't live in this country and not know something about Jesus. And maybe you even think He's a good person, but you've never received Him as your personal Savior. There's never been a day you opened your mouth and said, I confess Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins, and I want you to come in my heart and be my Savior. Today can be your day to bring the Prince of Life into your life and thereby into your marriage and relationships as well. His plans for you are good and they're not evil. And He was willing to die for you before you even knew about Him. While we were yet in sin, He willingly died to show His love for you. Nobody else has done that or could do it. And then the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For more information on Summit Christian Center, summitsa.com.